Hi everyone and welcome to Hit the Apex. It's the week following the Italian Grand Prix. Plenty to discuss on this edition, but the big question to ask is, is it all over Red Rover? And we're going to talk plenty about that later on. But um, yeah, the Italian Grand Prix, Baden, uh, we're back from our mid-season break and we've already had back-to-back weekends and potentially two championship-defining rounds, but more so this one here in Monza crazy race we thought was going to go for in Ferrari's favour but in the end it was a silver arrows that spoiled the uh, Scuderia's party. Oh it's hard to know where to start really when you see after Saturday Ferrari were the ones with it all to to lose and that's exactly what they did or what Vettel did more precisely and then Ferrari in a roundabout way to Kimi Raikkonen when he finally had that golden opportunity and then Testament to Mercedes, yes, questionable their tactics, but they got the win, and I think that it really, at this point, it's looking like from an unlikely scenario where we said, oh, Hamilton's leading the title, but it's a matter of when he's going to be uh, overhauled by Vettel. Now you can't see it happening. No, you can't indeed, and we'll talk more about Vettel and the championship a bit later on, um, extension perhaps of the piece that you wrote today, but talking about the race itself, so... You know, Hamilton wins, sixth win of the season, extends the championship lead, um, and it all just boils back to what happened on the first lap, and there was already tensions between Vettel and Hamilton. Uh, Vettel starting on the front row of the grid, Hamilton third. Um, They get together at turn four, and uh, Seb was spun round. Um, The incident, perhaps, Seb being a bit too ambitious again, um, coming together with Hamilton, found himself in a spin, ended up dropping back as far as 17th, I think it was, and then um, had to just basically do a race of recovery, which saw him recover to finish. Uh, It was fourth in the end. But, um, yeah, you know, a lot of points lost there for, for Seb. But it was Kimi who was holding on to the lead for most of the race, being pursued by Hamilton. It was uh, track position was Kimi's before the pit stops, after the pit stops, which Kimi was pitted quite early, you have to say, lap 23 um, by Ferrari. And that's probably the big talking point is that, you know, he could have gone longer because Hamilton ended up doing eight more laps on those same super soft tyres. Ferrari, again, unwilling to let nature take its course. They were very conservative on on this front, and, and that coupled with that idea that when Raikkonen did have the clean air, they, they didn't rein him in when he had built that sufficient uh, lead to, to emerge when Hamilton made his own stop some, what, um, six laps later. It was more than sufficient, and by that point, his tyres were cactus and that was um, only when he came into Bottas's wake and before we know it Hamilton had pretty much um, wiped out that deficit that Raikkonen had six seconds or so and accounted for, for nothing and, and even by the time we see Bottas brought in he clearly wasn't any kind of consideration for what he could have achieved and it was only a matter of, um, of when uh, a lame duck uh, Raikkonen was to be uh, devoured by Hamilton. Well yeah Bottas deployed again by Mercedes to hold up Kimi you know, very much the wingman now after even though Mercedes denied that <laughs> before the mid-season break and and um, Lewis Hamilton was able to attack on those fresh tyres, as we saw, because uh, Valtteri essentially holding up Kimi there. And when uh, Bottas came and pitted on lap 39 or whatever it was, um, Hamilton was able to make the move on Kimi lap 45, um, not too long before the end of the race going into turn one. By that point, Kimi, his tyres shot, not because he couldn't manage them, because they were eight laps older than 
Hamilton's contrary to what the commentary at the time was saying that Kimi and the Ferrari are poor tyre managers or whatever. I don't know where they got that idea from, but Hamilton as well, he wasn't managing his tyres all that great either. He had graining and everything as well, but just because he had fresher rubber, let's stress that again, fresher rubber, that's why he had the better grip to get past Raikkonen. Yeah, I just think... That and when you consider that um, overall, perhaps he in those laps where he wasn't pushing like crazy for six or seven uh, beyond that operating window, uh, yes, perhaps that was uh, putting it over the edge for for Raikkonen. But when it came down to it, Raikkonen did a pretty good job in hindsight when you saw how worn they were down to a carcass in the dying laps just to hold on to the line. So you couldn't really go out and say that he was reckless. It was just a a case of Ferrari flustering themselves and then um, being the ones who were negligent to uh, not inform Raikkonen when the time was was right that he had done enough and, and that was uh, really, there, there was no coming back from that. Well, it didn't really help either that they only had the one set of soft tyres all weekend, um, both the Ferrari guys, so they didn't actually get to go out in the practice sessions and use them. So, you know, just having them on in the race and they perhaps didn't predict that they'd be in, um, what do you call it, under that much pressure during the race. So there you go, strategy error as well as far as Ferrari is concerned. And, you know, in the end, he finished second, um, which the only consolation prize from that is that he achieved his 100th F1 podium. But considering the emotion that we saw on Saturday, especially from his uh, wife as well, when he took that pole position and pretty much the entire world you know everyone there wasn't anyone who was unhappy that Raikkonen was on pole position we thought perhaps finally we'd be able to see him break that duck um, that goes back to 2013 the Australian Grand Prix at that since he last won a race and now you know it's uh, that opportunity gone whether it's going to happen again at the end of the season and we'll talk about it in the digest as well it might not be this season might be his last anyway yeah, I think as we've said so frequently, particularly in the last um, 18 months when he's been a lot more realistically in contention there, that um, matter of of uh, when, not if, and been left tantalised when he's been scapegoated so many times for Vettel. This was his opportunity and he did really on his own end everything right, but the strategy really blew it for him, and you do wonder if that's as good as it's going to get for him. As much as Vettel keeps tripping over himself, Ferrari seems like they're just at a stage where they're just gifting every opportunity to Mercedes, and and it was one of those races where Hamilton could have settled for second if he was really being ultra-conservative, but Ferrari just had nothing to give, and it just fell completely into place for the the silver arrows exactly and to sort of rub further salt into that wound um the podium was completed by the wingman Valtteri Bottas who I guess was elevated due to a five-second penalty being handed out to Max Verstappen and it was a late battle between Bottas and Verstappen that saw a bit of botched defense in in Verstappen's um case or whatever which saw him handed that penalty and Max wasn't too happy about that either and that penalty actually then dropped him to fifth in the end and that elevated Seb up to fourth to make it a decent recovery from him. Yeah, I think for Verstappen, there's a slight step back after some really great inroads after that uh, real melee he had in the first five races where he seemed to find trouble at every corner and I guess it's just a manifestation of that, that frustration probably shared by his teammate and 
Ricardo, it seems like every weekend one or the other, but more often than not lately, it is the Australian <laughs> we, there who it's seems what we to say be every, up in the, It's what, what we say every week about Red Bull, that it's either one or the other. But at the moment, it seems more so to be the departing Ricardo, but Verstappen clearly doesn't want to be fighting for the minor placings, and uh, you can see that red mist which uh, really came down over him when he was informed of, of that penalty. He pretty much just just left it all on the, the racetrack at that point. Well, yeah, the sort of petulance came back for them, but going over to Daniel Ricciardo now, fourth DNF in six races. It was only last week where we said, yeah, three DNF in five races. Hopefully um, that'll... Uh, you know, he'll come out and score some points at least this time out. But yeah, it was a fourth DNF in six races and it was a clutch issue that destroyed his race this time. So, you know, can he... It just seems like he can't take a trick at the moment, can Paul Ricardo? He's won two races this season. The only other driver... Um, you know, other than Vettel and Hamilton to have won multiple races. And, yeah, you know, he's supposed he was looking good to probably lock out fifth in the championship, but, you know, losing all those points, it's not going to happen now. Oh, fifth after he won Monaco, he was probably fancying third. And, and ever since then, it's just been as though he's, he's non-existent. And I think he's been no better than... And fifth at any point, just because yeah, he well, gets since such the, poor luck with either grid penalty or uh, failures when he's running in a pretty good position. Yeah, fifth is probably the best result he's had since Monaco. And mind you, he's only finished twice or three times since then as well. So, you know, looking ahead to Singapore, I guess it's a circuit that will suit Red Bull better. And, you know, Spa Monza is always a test for Red Bull ever since the hybrid era started. So, you know, that's probably... They're probably glad that these races are behind them. But again, for Dan, it's just... We say it'd be nice if he had some good results under his belt before he leaves Red Bull just to have it on good terms. But, um, yeah, at the moment, it's looking pretty grim. And again, I think... Um, well, the question has to be asked whether that... Um the Renault power unit, which has been quite fickle, particularly this season. Oh, it started off the end of last season. You saw that disastrous conclusion they had with Toro Rosso. But but now with Red Bull making its plans announced to move to, to Honda. And you think about Adrian Newey and his notorious um, retired architecture, whether it's just getting to a point where it can't accommodate the, the Renault. And they'll just both parties be hoping to um, draw a line under it and go their respective ways at this stage because it it's just become so recurring that there's clearly a fundamental issue there on Renault perhaps and Red Bull's end where they're just clearly not not matching up and it, it's just a shame that Ricardo is going to end what has been really quite a, a great tenure at at Red Bull and who knows it could have gone a little bit differently he could have been their guy to to take them back to to titles but it shouldn't end up being that he he'll end with a really a damp squib when he's racing as well as he as he has when he is on the track but it's just um, every race we're now accustomed to seeing disappointment yeah and it's just pretty painful to see and you know it was when we saw it this time at Monza it was just a case of not again, but probably a lot more emotional than that. But yeah, so hopefully Singapore, it's a circuit that typically suits Red Bull and they should be able to get some results there, especially for Dan under his belt. But um, elsewhere in the race, uh, Roman Grosjean was best of the rest 
with sixth, but that was before he was disqualified for having an illegal car. So there was a breach with the um, the floor design on the Haas car. Apparently, the FIA was looking at it for uh, multiple races, and they decided to act on it now. Um, and as a result, sixth was stripped um, from Toro uh, from Haas for that. Otherwise, that could have put them. Uh, ahead of Renault in the Constructors' Championship. And um, with that, it elevated quite a few drivers up the order. We had the uh, Force Indias elevated to 6th and 7th, who now leapfrogged Toro Rosso to P7 in the standings. So within two races, they've already scored, you know... um, enough points to get up to seventh in the standings leapfrogging three teams and then Williams best result since Baku for them with Sergei Sorotkin promoted to 10th scoring his first points in F1 Lance Stroll scored a couple of points too but now we've had all drivers score points this season yeah it's good to see for everyone to get in on the act but for for Haas particularly, there was a bit of a conjecture whether that, that deadline to, to change the, the floor was going to be for Silver, uh, for Singapore. And then there was a bit of talk that they had sent an email clarifying it to the FIA and they hadn't heard a response. So they took that as being the, the go-ahead to continue with that, that spec which was under investigation. So who knows whether there'll be anything more to play out before we reach Singapore. But as it does stand, it d- does mean that Sorotkin gets his first point in Formula One and just all around for Williams it was pleasing to see them actually um, in the thick of it and for what it counts even though it's not really elevated them anywhere it's just a morale boost for them when they sorely need it with the with Martini departing and all that conjecture about uh, where their own future lies in terms of whether they're reliant on on pay drivers merely to survive. Well, it would have been terrible if Sergei finished the season without having scored a point because he would have been the only driver on the grid not to score this season. So, yeah, now that all the drivers are on the board, I think it will be a bit more acceptable to to see out the season. Yeah, I think uh, he's honestly um, not gone wrong too badly at all, Sorotkin, but he's just been dealt a a pretty savage hand with the, the Williams and you just hope that... Like you see so many, obviously we'll talk about Van Dorn shortly, but it doesn't do their, their confidence any good, so you just got to work on the small victories, and hopefully this for him is just just a little morale booster. Yeah, exactly, and speaking of uh, Van Dorn and McLaren, um, no points again for McLaren. Fernando Alonso retired pretty early on in the race as well, I think saving power unit components or whatever so yeah not really a race that the that mclaren was going to be and hopefully again like uh, red bull that in singapore it might suit them better with less emphasis on the power unit and whatnot but yeah mclaren will talk about them anyway in regards to the silly season but uh yeah it's not really looking better for them at the moment um which is terrible to see so at the conclusion of this race it's a 30 point lead now for hamilton over vettel in the title um, race and yeah that grasp on the fifth title for Hamilton sort of tightening which you know we didn't think we would say considering after Belgium there was the optimism that we would see perhaps the lead change again in the next few races but it looks like you know perhaps this time Hamilton's going to stay on top it's going to take a DNF or something or even multiple DNFs for Vettel to sort of get that ascendancy back but um yeah, you know, Monza, real hammer blow at the, in the heartland of Ferrari, mind you, as well, That which would have dealt them a big uh, shock as well. 
Yeah, you couple that to Vettel uh, in front of his own home crowd at Germany, and you think about this being the point where everything came undone for them last season, and that gap was was even narrower at that point of Singapore, that ca- catastrophic friendly fire, and that was really the point of no return. And on this occasion, he's even further adrift, and you just think back to where it was after the British Grand Prix, and it really looked like Ferrari was completely in the ascendancy, and Vettel of his own volition at uh, Hockenheim, bins it, and Hungary, a bit unfortunate with the the weather for for qualifying but then that pit stop blunder that was more ferrari's end in the race getting bogged down behind bottas as he as ferrari were again hampered by him at um at uh, italy and then you go to um belgium yes he got it right but hamilton played the the smart card there and settled for second and then you come here and, and vettel who knows could have gone a little bit differently um could have backed out and you could have been at least third yeah. who, who knows dare we say second without <laughs> without that Raikkonen undoubtedly would have been made to to play ball but that's all just in recent times you yeah think, we'll talk about it um anyway i think in coming weeks when it becomes clearer whether the season is over for ferrari but vettel's dropped off 60 70 points when you look over every um little um run in his had dating back to um, Azerbaijan and um, you think about that and you think about France and you think about Austria even with that grid drop it's just numerous and it d- does beg the question based on last season whether he just can't handle that pressure and credit to Hamilton he's, he's always there to pick up those pieces but this is the thing you know Vettel back when he won the four championships with Red Bull sure 2010 you pointed out that he was making mistakes as well, given that it was that first year that he was really in title contention. Um, but still, he won the championship by not much if he hadn't made those mistakes. He could have been daylights ahead, like 2011, 2013, for example. But, you know, we would have thought that by maturing over the years and now with Ferrari as well, that he would probably be a more polished driver. But it seems like it's not the case. No, it's really a stage where Ferrari will... We'll be wondering, if not now, then when is it possible? But I guess we'll, we'll talk about it more in the uh, formal discussion, but it's just oh, worrying well, time. We might as well discuss it now. Anyway, um, you know, all over Red Rover, perhaps, after this race. And Nico Rosberg said after the race, um, blasting Seb for making too many mistakes, saying that, you know, you can't beat Lewis Hamilton without by making this many mistakes and it's it's not akin to Sebastian Vettel who was clinical and uh, methodical in the way he won those four championships previously yes and we can't say now that he doesn't have the best car because at the moment Ferrari do have the best car and as I said last week Ferrari have the best car but will they be able to maximize it you know will they be able to win in all those other areas, the other variables, such as your pit stops, your strategy, driver error. Can they win in those areas and then win? Because that's how Mercedes have won for so long. It wasn't just because they had the best car. If Imagine if Mercedes was making pit stop errors. And, oh, they just had the synergy across all those departments. Yeah, having to see, it's not just about having the best car. It's about having the synergy across all the departments, you say. And if Mercedes was making these errors back in 2014, 15, 16, then they might not have won those championships or they would have won them but by not as much of a distance as they did so you know that's still I can't believe that Ferrari are still being hurt by these things which we thought that they would have fixed for this season 
And you could even say that they started to show this sign of overcoming Mercedes last season and they bottled it there. And this time it's more of an outright advantage and yet they don't seem to be any more at ease and assured of uh, what they can utilize it for and have a bit of breathing space. They seem to have this um, almost perceived pressure issue where they create the, the, the headaches for themselves when Mercedes are really quite well adrift um, in real terms, but they just, I guess, based on what they have achieved, they're always looming at the back of Ferrari's mind. And one problem on their end, strategy-wise, and Vettel just seems to really... Um, not that you would blame Ferrari strategically for causing Vettel's mistakes, but Vettel, in turn, doesn't seem to handle that wick being turned up and you must say on the face of it this season Raikkonen's been more of a consistent driver without well, given victories he's had possibly a few chances to have won but of course he's been made to play that rear gunner but yeah, over the course of a race he's always there or thereabouts whereas Vettel either seems to get the job done or he just bottles it completely well, given that is it what 11 podiums that Kimi's had this season next nine, 9 to 8 and well, Hamilton's yeah. got 11 next, next, yeah, and the next best driver is um, Hamilton after that you would have thought Sebastian Vettel being the title contender would have had um, more than Kimi Raikkonen so yeah while Vettel does have 5 race wins to his name it's a matter of you know all the other races where he's not winning is he's got to be finishing second or third and he's not and see Hamilton like he has an off weekend and hear all the complaining on the radio but he's always second or third yeah. and Vettel ends up being sixth or seventh or yeah, whatever it's exactly valuable or, points. Or, de- or does not finish the race so that's where the point comes in is that you know that consistency that you need to win the championship we said this a long time ago um right after the championship started and we saw the inconsistency from both ends we said this championship is going to be won by the driver who makes the driver and the team that makes the least mistakes and so far mercedes are the ones making the least mistakes sure they don't have the fastest car but in the end it's about making the least amount of mistakes and um scoring the most points which you know lewis hamilton is doing at the moment and i guess you can't really fault that given despite his character or whatever and it's just, yeah, if they're doing the better job on the day, then he's going to be world champion, while Sebastian Vettel and Ferrari are just going to be left to wonder, you know, what they can do to go better next year. But we shouldn't be doing that. We should be focusing on winning today, winning this year, and not making mistakes now instead of looking forward to doing it all again another year. And for Hamilton, a case could be made that He's driving as well as ever in a car that's clearly not the class of the field and he seems to thrive on those moments where he has a bit of a sniff. He goes in for the kill and then Vettel, it's just a matter of time it seems, he he does choke and and you can see that when he does um, pull ahead Hamilton, he becomes quite peerless and as much as we have our (laughs) opinions about him, it's hard to go past him as the driver of the generation just for the the fact that he just lifts it to this this pedestal where um, through his, his mere presence, he's created this aura and um, he really just makes the results happen for him. Whereas someone like a, a Vettel, he just seems very reliant on um, really everything falling into to place for him, having absolutely no pressure. Otherwise, um, you just smell danger signs pretty much straight away. Yeah, well, unless he can deal with that pressure, then... I don't know if he's going to be able to add to that tally of four championships that he's already had. So, yeah, it's. it's I mean, you could you could almost argue it's over now, but I guess we've got to wait 
across the next couple of races, Singapore, Japan, Russia. Um, Singapore, again, on paper. See, after last year, I have no confidence about Ferrari just coming out and dominating in, in Singapore. You know, you would have thought that a couple of years ago, but after what happened last year, a little bit of rain again, as you say, created that pressure, and going into turn one, it was, yeah, we all remember what happened. So it's hard to say with confidence now that, yeah, you know, Ferrari have the best car, but, you know, anything like that could just ruin it for them on the day or they ruin it for themselves. So, yeah, you know, we're just going to have to wait and see come Sunday in Singapore in a couple of weeks' time to see how things pan out. And if at the checkered flag, Sebastian or Ferrari win, then, you know, you can definitely say with confidence perhaps they're back in the hunt. For Hamilton, he has that luxury now of of playing that longer game, you can settle for the seconds or thirds um, depending on the, the circumstance ahead of him. But if the opportunity does present itself again, he doesn't have to be the one leading from lap one. He might just end up with another win. And it just seems... Well, it's that what Ros- Nico Rosberg did in 2016. He only had to finish second or third in the last um, four races of the year. And yeah, he just finished second in all four of them. So, you know, in, they'll probably be playing that game given that he's got that 30 point lead and I keep saying power units you know when are these guys going to start taking penalties surely well because Bottas has already taken it Raikkonen's probably on the cusp so Vettel and Hamilton are probably not too far off either and I guess with um, Hamilton got it, having that luxury of the points they're going to have to consider reliability and rather than having a DNF to their name it's better to probably take those penalties and then come back score a few points and let Vettel take some points off him so if I were Mercedes that's probably the way I'd be thinking rather than having what happened in Malaysia for example a couple of years ago happen again and that was basically the turning point in that year's championship well, that might be what it does take for Ferrari to, to feel comfortable, but it's easy enough to say that without that pressure they'll get it done. But who knows, maybe you get one of them take a drop at Singapore, for instance, and then the Red Bulls go and take maximum points if they can get their reliability together. And that'll be major points where Ferrari would want to collect the maximum and, and Mercedes will, will just know that they've got that luxury of, of really being in the right place at the right time and Ferrari has a track record now and it's impossible to ignore at this point. Yeah, and that's why, you know, we just had to talk about it this time and in great detail. It's, you know, as just being neutral fans or whatever of wanting to see a, a competitive championship, it's just, you know, at that stage where, yeah, I'd take anyone who can beat Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton just for the sake of variety, but... Ferrari just doesn't seem to be up to doing it at the moment. And they have the best car, but they just can't get it together, which is the disappointing part. Yeah, just from the hype, we all thought, um, I don't know how far back or or how soon ago the optimism was there, but it just feels like there was a real gut punch at, at Italy and all that um, optimism after qualifying. It seemed like it was going to be a truly majestic victory and that one really just doubles that that pain yeah exactly so enough about that anyway we'll be back talking about the championship i guess in time for singapore in a couple of weeks but um let's go into the digest now and 
straight after the race, there was a flurry of information, a flurry of news that came out in regards to McLaren and the silly season. And uh, we heard last night, or Monday night, sorry, that Stoffel Van Dorn's been dropped by the team, uh, won't, won't be retained for 20 or beyond 2018. And not too long after that, McLaren announced that Lando Norris is going to be making his F1 debut for the team. And I'll be honest here, uh, it felt like, uh, or the reaction that I had was that this was a really left field choice by McLaren. I was almost, even though he's their junior driver and you think he's next cab off the rank, I was actually surprised to see his name pop up given the depth of talent that's currently on the silly season market. You know, your Esteban Ocon's, your Sergio Perez. I even built a case for. Sergio Perez to return to McLaren saying that now he's mature and everything and a team leader it's what McLaren need at the time uh, at this time but at the same time I argued that it almost doesn't matter what driver they put in their car next year or the year after they've got to fix things in their managerial structure they need to fix things in their technical department and start building a car start developing a car that's gonna be competitive not give us this uh, you know, bucket of bolts that this year they've not developed or so we're led to believe hasn't been developed on a regular basis that's not being able to give Stoffel van Dorn the opportunity to show his skills and talent and leaving Fernando Alonso as disgruntled as ever. Oh, just the fundamentals and it's not going to be that overnight fix that... Um fantastical thought from um, Zach Brown at the, the British Grand Prix. It could be two to ten years. You hope it's certainly not the latter. Oh, somewhere in be between. Waiting. I wouldn't wait ten years as a fan. To I mean, no. most football teams, you don't have to wait that long for them to get back into premiership contention or whatever, unless you're Western Bulldogs and you didn't win one for like 60 years or whatever. But yeah, in a Formula One team, you don't want to wait 10 years for for someone to regain competitives. No offence to Williams fans, but yeah, a team like McLaren who only, well, you say only won their last championship in 2008. Well, that's already been a decade now. So, you know, do we wait another decade for them to get back into championship contention? Oh, Ferrari went... 17 years between 82 99 uh, so but didn't they win races in between then as well like even just winning a race would be nice at this point or a podium finish but going back to van dorn um you gotta really feel for the guy and i know we were critical of him at the start of the year because it felt like you know he's not putting his best foot forward but as the year's gone on he's not really been given the opportunity because the car he has and it's almost like you know, Kevin Magnussen all over again when he got dumped by McLaren for not doing much wrong, I guess. And same with Sergio Perez before that, 2013. They had an uncompetitive car. Um, and Perez couldn't do much more than he was doing and was trying to get the most out of... Uh, it's like pushing uh, crap uphill, basically. You know, what can you do? Oh, Van Dorn was essentially dead on arrival with his McLaren tenure last year... Um he genuinely was um, struggling just to, to complete a race distance. Morale just wasn't there. Clearly Alonso had been jaded by it and that toxic culture that, that crept in. And then that false optimism with the move to Renault, everyone's thinking, oh, we've got a bit of a chance here. And when that wasn't realised, you could just see for both of them that they, it would have 
checked out and Van Dorn being so much fresher, he's clearly not got that reputation to trade off and he's really now thrown into the, the lion's den there if he's going to have another crack at it and who knows whether he does face a, a year in the wilderness just like Esteban Ocon, rightly or wrongly. It seems as though these guys who probably we foresaw a couple of years ago as the future are facing very uncertain futures. Well, um, you know, Magnussen had that year in the wilderness as well and look where he's come back even though the Renault stint didn't really work in his favour. But yeah, Magnussen certainly in his stride now at Haas but in danger, I guess, of being left in the midfield for the rest of his career. Van Dorn, we were likening him or everyone was likening him to being the next Alan Prost for bloody hell um a couple of years ago before he made his debut so you know the fact that you know he's already perhaps on the outer in f1 you'd hope that he finds a seat but i agree i think you know esteban ocon has to find a seat for next year it's a travesty if he's not on the grid um and again that's why the whole norris move sort of stumped me was that i thought you know Mercedes probably would have pushed for to get O'Connor seat next year or wherever. He's still in with a chance, I guess. I mean, he could go to Williams if they do that tie-up between with Mercedes-Benz to have that technical uh, alliance there. But, um, yeah, for the sake of, you know, being in a semi-competitive drive, you would have thought that O'Connor at McLaren could have been possible um but yeah you know it's not not to take anything away from Lando Norris he's done a great job in Formula 2 this year he's uh, at 18 years old you know he's definitely a driver to look forward to being in F1 in the future if he gets a long-term if he gets a long-term stint out of it that's what we said about Magnussen what we said about Van Dorn as well going to McLaren I don't want the same thing to now happen to Lando Norris in a in a couple of years time it's a poison chalice, and clearly, as long as M- McLaren's not making any kind of progress, it's going to be impossible for any of these guys to be gauged in realistic as, terms. Yeah, you could have been better off going in the Toro Rosso for next year. So, you know, um, it's just, yeah, it, as I said before, it, it doesn't really matter who they have in the car. It's until they start getting the development happening again and um, ironing out what's going on with their management and everything which you know it looks like perhaps it's happening but their technical department's still a bit unsure about what's going on there with James Key yet to be released by Red Bull and McLaren saying that the terms that Red Bull are asking for are a bit unreasonable in this situation so you know they're sort of left in that situation where what do we do here and we oh, they'll just read get, that they'll just get Norris and Science to design the car themselves oh, they could do the that problem. or I was going to say that they've reached out to Pat Fry potentially to come back and <sighs> help design the car for next year at least he you know after Manor folded I think he's on working with the FIA or with um, the Formula One group or whatever on their little Ross Braun's little technical team so you know potentially he could come back to McLaren where he was um, before he was at Ferrari of course so yeah they've got to sort out this stuff before we worry about what kind of drivers we got on the team and um, whether they're performing or not because if the team's not performing you know don't scapegoat the drivers but it's the third time that this has happened for McLaren. Perez, Magnussen, now Paul Van Dorn. <laughs> you just hope there's another chapter for him. Yeah, well, and let's keep the theme of scapegoating drivers going. Um, a driver who was scapegoated to the maximum 
last year, the year before, is now on the radar to actually come back to Formula 1 with the team that he was scapegoated by, and that's Danny Kvyat in frame to come back to Toro Rosso. And um, this was sort of intensified with some chat, that uh, a chat between Red Bull and Ferrari between Christian Horner and... Um, Christian Horner or Helmut Marco, one of the two. Both of them were there, and both, they're, they're always there with Mar- Marco having Horner on his leash. Of course, there wouldn't be any other way. Um, those two chatting to Maurizio Rivabeni because, of course, after Red Bull let Kvyat go, he became a Ferrari affiliated driver, and now they're talking about potentially releasing him back to Red Bull to go to Toro Rosso. So what? what <laughs> This silly season just gets sillier all of a sudden. Next, we'll be talking about potentially putting Esteban Gutierrez in the car, and he was in the paddock as well in Monza. Oh, it just further undermines Toro Rosso's remit again, um, that shortfall and the way they actually um, probably promoted Kvyat prematurely in that first instance. This is what's um, culminated with the three or four years is... Um, vortex of drivers coming and going some real left field contenders recalling ex-alumni like a brendan hartley and now there's potential again for kvyat to return and it's just, just again it's a shame when you think just like with mclaren they're getting someone unproven in this case they're going back to perhaps an old ham when there's such other guys t- oh, like an ocon well, ready to go well nothing against kvyat because i guess he was unfairly treated but you know it's just the way that that red bull system is working at the moment the fact yeah it churned out so many drivers in the beginning but now they're bone dry basically Jean-Eric Verne's already said he's not coming back because he's happy being in a championship where he can actually win championships and races he doesn't want to come back to F1 where he's going to be fighting for ninth or 10th so I can see his point of view and yeah F1 is meant to be the pinnacle but the fact that these guys who were regarded as being, you know, the future, as you said before, and being the best of the best, they never got to rise to the top, basically. And that's why they've gone off elsewhere to try and um, win there. And we saw that with Brendan Hartley. He got turfed by Red Bull ages ago, and then his chance with Mercedes didn't really yield anything. So he went off to sports cars. He won a couple of championships. He won a Le Mans. Uh, John Eric Verne, Formula E champion now. He's racing in endurance championship as well. The list goes on. With the exception of Vettel... Uh, really, and Verstappen, Red, uh, and Toro, Ricardo as well. I guess you could say to an extent, but not not to the extent he's going to be put forward as the future of the team. So he's met an end, despite the fact he could have represented their their next hope. And you think about Verstappen, though, he was more of a, a hired hand than anything. Toro also seems to be a means to an end, and very few do make it through there to Red Bull and then go on to achieve the the great heights because they're cut down before their time has come or really marginalised, as you've seen with the Weber. He came in, I guess, after a stint technically with them at Jaguar and then he never had a chance with Vettel there and now Ricardo's already been cast aside in deference to, to Verstappen. So it's just an absolutely ruthlessly cynical organisation. So you can see why so few are that keen to go back into that cauldron if, if they're asked and as a result um, who knows it might be that last um, one on the table like a Kofia who takes it merely because no one else is keen well you know I just have to agree with Vern's sentiment that why would he go back to 
being in the midfield or not even on the beyond the midfield or whatever when he's somewhere where he's actually winning and winning in a world-class championship with the depth of strong talented drivers like Formula E has and the World Endurance Championship so yeah you got to give it to him on that one so and our last little bit of silly season news is that um despite his heroics in Monza to score pole position it looks like the uh Ferrari organization is getting ready to replace Kimi Raikkonen with Charles Leclerc so we thought that that all died down following the tragic news about Sergio Marchionne but uh, John Elkan and the new um, Ferrari Louis chairman and Louis Camilleri look like they're going to take that step and uh, give Kimi the sack for next year. So not even letting him go out on his own terms. It's like, right, even though you've scored this pole position for us and you've been really consistent with the podiums, eight or nine, as you said, for the season, um, you're going to be shown the door. Yeah, talk of honouring the wishes of Marchioni who'd had seen Leclerc as the future and the notion that he was some visionary who wanted to progress um, things rather than live in the past. I guess the things move pretty quickly, but Raikkonen, um, I guess you can always make that statement that when it comes up to renewal time, he gets his act together. But in this case, it's been as convincing as it's been at any point in this second tenure for him and to really probably should have by right won it at Italy and uh, just driving as well as ever so you would think at this stage he does deserve to genuinely be renewed on his terms and whatever comes of 2019 you've got to consider for Leclerc that there's every chance that he won't be quite ready after a single season and that logic of another year at Sauber or a side slight move up I guess to Haas that suddenly doesn't seem to be the case at all. Well and also I guess there was that thing over the week uh, after qualifying seeing Kimi Raikkonen's wife emotional and there was that talk that the emotion was because she already had been or Kimi was already informed that he's no longer required for 2019 or whatever it was just an outpouring of emotion but yeah it's just you know sort of in the middle of the before the mid-season break I was all for right we've got to look at the future maybe it's time that Kimi moved on but then when you look back at his performances this year I'm like well I'd rather if it he was given if it was on his own terms you know and it doesn't if he loses his Ferrari seat he's not going to be on the grid next year he's not going to go backwards to a Sauber or there was a talk maybe he'd go to McLaren or whatever which can't happen now anyway but yeah that'll be it for Raikkonen so we lose two world champions next year with Alonso going Kimi Raikkonen going as well and all of a sudden you know yeah the whole a whole generation of drivers has disappeared off the grid yeah on a personal level little um be a bit hollow when when I consider in the realm of of Michael Schumacher's glory days when you had Alonso and Raikkonen and, and Button and all that who have gone in the past few years yeah, that'll NASA be well. that'll be a completely clean cut and will be essentially um, Lewis Hamilton will be um, the old man of the field and it's quite a strange feeling when you consider that yeah he'll be 34 next season but, but it just feels like that's from a completely different time than. The one when I was in my formative years of following, so it's just not quite going to be the same. Yeah, exactly. So all of a sudden, the we have two big names leave, whereas we thought uh, it was just going to be Alonso who'd be gone as well and uh, gone to IndyCar. It looks like with um, him doing a test. They said this week that was confirmed 
by McLaren. And speaking of IndyCar, to round up the Digest, so yeah, we're counting down to the end of their season with one race to go in the championship. And here in Portland over the weekend, so they had three rounds in a row. They had a triple header, which is amazing. And right at the end of the championship too, I guess it builds that intensity. So it was Takuma Sato who won over the weekend. And more importantly for the championship, Scott Dixon extend, managed to extend his lead over Alexander Rossi to 29 points. So that's the gap going into the final race with double points on offer at uh, Sonoma, I believe. So yeah, it's going to be an interesting finale. And I think um, it looks like that Dixon might have this one already in one hand. Based on his heroics um, at Portland, when he escaped about a seven-car pile-up, you'd think he's uh, clearly um, blessed for this season. He just seems to always extract those results, even when he's not uh, taking the victories. And he's been the best driver over the course of a season, as much as Rossi's come home with a, a wet sail. So all he has to do is keep himself really out of trouble at the finale, and he'll have another crown. Yeah, and uh, the Penske driver's no longer in contention contention either. So Joseph Newgarden and Will Power, unfortunately, even though Power did sorry win, the, uh, uh, win over the weekend, um, before Portland and um, at the Gateway or whatever. So, yeah, it's been an interesting championship. And, of course, with the uh, impending arrival of Fernando Alonso next year, as I said, all throughout the season, that it's really going to give that championship a boost as far as viewership goes. And, yeah, you know, we're not the biggest IndyCar fans as such, but, you know, it's, it's hard not to keep one eye on it now, given that we've got, you know, Alexander Rossi. Ever since Alexander Rossi went over there, I've had one eye sort of on it and now with Fernando Alonso going it'd be great to watch how he goes in that championship overall as well with the likes of Will Power, Scott Dixon and the uh, usual bunch that uh, are at the front of that field. And credit has to just be given alone to IndyCar it's built its own base with those household names and just the attractiveness of the racing it's become such a, a level after about a decade since that uh, reunification we keep mentioning and we hope that i guess the cream on top will be uh, an alonso arriving and it can reach that mania levels that we had in the early to mid 90s yeah it'll be mansell may it'll be alonso mania instead of mansell mania basically a quick shout out to mansell anyway uh raikkonen became the um, oldest pole sitter since mansell in 1994 when he took uh pole at the australian grand prix that year the final race in adelaide it was uh, that year so, uh, yeah, you know, props to Kimi for doing that. But um, let's cap things off this week with the uh, sporting moments of the week, of course. And um, catching your eye this week was? Oh, not so much as a highlight. Probably a, a low light, more of a a personal one. Again, probably heard over over the year, my, my good running friend in, in Dion. He's probably based his whole year around an upcoming 100-kilometre championship race this weekend set for Croatia and unfortunately he's laid low as so many runners are in untimely fashion about a month ago and time's just beaten him to recover for that run. He's pulled the pin on it and probably a smart call but just a real shame when you think about how much effort goes in. You base it the 12-month plan around getting yourself up for it and just shows you sometimes it's not meant to be but he'll he'll still be travelling overseas and... Um, being part of that support crew, you'll have a great time, part of that culture, and there's some other events that you'll be participating in in his time over there, so it won't be as though the 
the trip has been a, a complete loss and um, just hope for him he bounces back to bigger and better things and it just shows you in, in any sporting context that sometimes you just got to ride those waves and you come back uh, better and stronger the next time. Well, you're only just human, of course, so, you know, if you but your body cannot withstand it, I guess, or if you're in the, if you're injured or whatever, you can only let, only time can heal um, wounds basically in that case so hopefully he does yeah as you say bounce back to bigger and better things will he be right for the one that you're doing in October the Melbourne Marathon or probably yeah I dare say you'll probably do it for a bit of fun after maybe these other just ones. a half marathon or something for that time you just got to play it by ear one of those things with, with the running you just never know body has some strange reactions after some big events it's always a bit of a week to week proposition yeah, exactly. So that should be good when that comes around anyway for not for for you even. <laughs> It'll be good to see you in action for, for the first time in what, five years or whatever. So um but yeah, let's cap things off and um I've been talking about it for the last few weeks, but it's finally over the farewell tour for Jonathan Thurston. The game on Saturday, so much emotion pre-game, during the game, after the game and yeah it's just hard to believe that that's the end of uh, the great JT's career and I guess if I'm just to pick one highlight of the game um, and talk about that as being my highlight for the week it was how time after time he set up his old mate Gavin Cooper for a try and it was just good to see them in form together again vintage JT vintage Gavin Cooper and of course you know on on track for en route to a big win for the Cowboys too over the Gold Coast Titans so yeah it's just going to be sad next year not being able to see those two set up plays for each other but you know I guess all good things come to an end and um, that's the end of the JT dynasty at the North Queensland Cowboys and in the NRL. Yeah, just a bit of a damn scrib the way they won't feature in September, but those memories of what he achieved probably 2015, that infamous kick and then everything in, in origin and, of course, his contribution when it comes to developing the game on the Indigenous front, he's been a real pioneer. Yeah, that... which he'll continue doing as well, I'm sure, up in the north um, with the Indigenous communities, with the youth as well in particular. So I think, you know, off the field as well, JT, just an incredible human being from what we've seen and heard about the man. Yeah, he won't be going too far. I think he'll still be very much involved. Who knows which capacities. Maybe he'll do some some commentary might get involved in coaching dare we say so he won't be lost to the game by any means yeah the immortal in waiting i guess so you know i'd love to say let's have a forex in his honor but we're never going near that stuff <laughs> yeah so, sorry we draw yeah, the line there yeah or bundaberg in that case which Mm-mm. is the other beverage that the queenslanders seem to promote yeah so unfortunately poor choice in beverages there jt but um, yeah, i'm sure we'll have something to to cap off what has been a great career for Jonathan Thurston. So, yeah, thanks for tuning in very much. Um, Thanks very much for tuning in. Apologies as well. We've recorded this edition a bit early this week. So when by the time we post it, if any other news is broken, well, you know, that's bad luck. We'll talk about it next week. So hopefully there is no more driver announcements Oh, there will. Week. As soon as we end this recording, there'll be three other announcements. Oh, yeah. Basically, the whole grid will just uh, go into free fall and whatnot. So, yeah. But until next time, thanks for joining us. And we'll be back to preview Singapore for you next week. So cheerio. Till then.